Father, I'm just so grateful that your mercies are new every morning. I'm reminded, God, that when I use your mercy today, you fill it back up. I'm not using yesterday's leftover mercy. It's new every day. When I'm not faithful to you, God, you're still faithful to me. I'm amazed by that, Jesus. Father, no matter, no matter my opinion, I never want to value my opinion more than I value what you're doing. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that we could align with that, that your mercy pour out on us to such a degree that we can align with your doings. I'm reminded, Lord, the woman called in adultery and you say to her, woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. The woman at the well, where's your husband? I don't have a husband. I know you've, you've had five. But my mercy and my great grace and my faithfulness is enough for you. Go and tell everybody what you've seen and heard. Jesus. We miss it on so many points. We miss it in so many ways. Yet we value our opinions over your way so often. Today we say have mercy on us. Pour your mercy out on us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thank you for that. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Well, we're in for a treat this morning. You didn't know what you were getting into when you came today, I promise. But uh, we're about to we're about to get our socks blessed off, and I'm going to set it up like this. Um, Thirty years ago, I got into ministry. When I got in ministry. <laughs> I went to the pastor that was pastoring me at the time and I asked him, I said, listen, I feel like I'm called into ministry. And he says, I wouldn't do that if I was you. I'd just kind of rethink that. And I was like, why? Well, you're divorced and they'll never accept you. I was like, wow, man, I got divorced before I got saved. Is it the unpardonable sin? I didn't know there was an unpardonable sin. It's like they'll never, they'll never accept you. <laughs> and I was like, golly, I, I really feel like the Lord's calling me to do this. And he said, it really doesn't matter. And I was like, wow, okay. And then I just began to pursue God's way of getting in ministry. And I ended up in Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina. There's a point to this story, I promise. Some of you have heard it a million times, but I, it's, it's, so, it's so important that we hear it before we hear what we're about to hear. I drove one time from Charleston to Charlotte, 
and there are two churches that are planted in, in Columbia, South Carolina that, 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 that I started. And then, and then Eastside Church in Charlotte. And, and I was, had the privilege of being a part of the team that originally began to form the ark, which has already planted nine, over 900 churches across the world. so often times that we look for ways to disqualify people and I think Jesus looks for ways to qualify them how many are thankful for his great grace in your life I am you're about to hear a story about grace and a, and a great message. I have no idea what we're about to hear, to be honest with you. But Tori and Tiffany are going to come and they're going to share a little bit about their testimony and uh, the grace of God is going to challenge the snot out of us here in just a moment. And every time I talk to Tori, I cry because I know that the Lord is on what's about to happen. He wants to reveal his nature and his character to you. How many of us know when the one goes astray, the Lord leaves the 99 and goes and gets the one? So without further ado, let's welcome Tori. And then are you coming now too, Tiff? You're going to wait? Okay, good. Saving the best for last. Saving the best for last. Let's welcome Tori as he comes and shares God's word. Thank you, brother. Are we good if I stay right here? We're good if I stay right here for a little bit? I don't know if I want to be up there. I feel like I you know, want you to elevate me or something like that. But Thank you, guys. Alex, thank you, man. I, I, uh, Alex or Brandon, to my knowledge, have never heard me speak before. And so by faith, they, uh, they allowed me to speak this morning. So that either says they're in really need of a break. Uh, they're not very smart. A combination of the two, the second one, the verdict's still out, but, or that they trust me, and man, I, it means a lot to me that, that you would allow me to speak this morning and, and just share from my heart and share uh, our story as it, as it may be, and as ugly and as messy as it sometimes is, can we agree that sometimes life is messy? I mean, we don't like to think that, right? We, we, we like to come into church and just pretend everything's great, but in reality, sometimes life is just a mess, Right? And so today, I just, you know, we want to kind of dig in and share just a little bit of, of, of what's gotten Tiffany and I here. If you're kind of new to church in general, maybe this is your first time here. We're not, don't worry, we're not going to have you stand up or say your name or anything like that. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe it's your first time in church altogether, okay? I want to say to you this. Alex has not asked me to say this. But I, it, or maybe you're just kicking the wheels of church in general or this church. I want to I give you this, this little bit of work. I don't work here, so I don't get paid to say this. I'm just telling you this because from one dude to another dude or do that. This is a unique place. Like when we started looking for a church, we're a part of a church up the road here. And when we started looking for churches, it was like, oh gosh, 
that's the worst, looking for churches because people are weird, like churches are even weirder, can we agree? And, and so we went to all of them, like we went to the big box churches where like you had to go through a full cavity search to even see the pastor, you know, and like, I don't call any names, but you get the place. And so like we went to there and like hung out there for like a year and a half, nothing wrong with it. Like we, it blessed our heart, we loved it there. Like it was so good to come in and worship, hear a great band, a phenomenal band, a great speaker, and then just be able to leave and be like, ha, I'm done here, I ain't gotta do nothing, I ain't gotta clean up, gotta clean chairs, put anything up, this is awesome. But what was missing there was like a personal touch. You know what I mean? Like, like I got welcomed as a guest for a straight year and a half. I couldn't tell you how many, ele- how many shirts, <laughs> I almost said it, how many t-shirts that I've got, because if you're gonna give me a free shirt, I'll take it, I mean, give it to me. i use it to paint in or whatever, you know? And so, like, but there was a personal touch there. Like, we'd get out, and, but there wasn't that there. Like, I would get out after a year and a half, and dude say, hey, thanks for coming, is it your first time? I'm like, dude, you said that three weeks in a row. No, it's not my first time. But when I came in here, because the, other, the flip side of that coin is we went to kind of some smaller places. And what was missing there, it seemed like, was a quality thing. Now, I'm not going to act overly spiritual because you're going to look at me right now and you're already judging me saying, well, you're supposed to worship Jesus no matter what. Okay, whatever. I'm just telling you that I struggle a little bit if the speaker is boring. I can't help it. Part of that is because I have ADD. You think I sit on the front row because I'm like uber spiritual. Negative ghost rider. The pattern is full. That is not why I sit on the front row. I sit on the front row to remove all the distractions. If I sit in the back, I see everybody's mullet and I start thinking about Billy Ray Cyrus and then I think about what happened to Miley Cyrus. This is weird. She's crazy now. I mean, at one time she was so normal when she was Hannah Montana and what's happened right now, right? And so I, like all that's going on, Alex would be preaching and everything. I ain't heard a thing he said. And he says, let's close and go home. I'm like, what? What happened? We were just talking about Jesus and stuff. And forget if that mirror ball's on. If that mirror ball's on... <laughs> It is over. Like, I've counted how many little squares are on there. I'm like, who puts them squares on there? I mean, their hands must be tiny. They had to bought it in China. We probably bought it in China. Man, I hate coronavirus. What about that mask? I'm so sick of mask. Can anybody in here relate to that? Or is it just... Okay. All right, so now... I am giving myself an excuse to have an ADD moment in the middle of this sermon because it will happen at some point. It's not a matter of when. It's a matter of if. Or... I said that backwards. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so just be expecting it and let's just ride together because we'll get back on the boat, I promise you. But all that said, when we came to Eastside, what I found was interesting was this, was a really unique blend of like people who really give a, uh, okay, almost, I'm not sure I can say that word give care that you're here, you know? Like, like I walked in the door and I think I, Cheryl was the first person I saw, Pastor Brandon's wife, and she said, hey, how are you doing? And like, I felt like she really meant that. You know what I mean? Like we say that a lot, but I mean, you know, sometimes it's just like, good, how are you? Okay, have a good day. But she really cared and she took the time to learn our name. And then we came in, worship, and man, at the time Michael was leading that day and I mean, how about the worship team? Is, are they not incredible? I mean, we... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, JP is like volunteering so Michael can take a break and still crushing it. I mean, these guys are amazing, incredible voices. I'm like, man, this is great quality. This is incredible. And then the speakers came up and I was like, well, we'll give them, I'm just kidding. I was like, man, <laughs> Alex is great. Like he kept my attention. I'm like, man, this is cool. And at the same time, people seem to really care. And I want to tell you, if you're looking for a church home or you're thinking about something, man, this is a place that I want you to give a real shot because it's a pretty unique place. And listen, church, I don't know if you're ready for this, but here's what's about to happen because I've seen it. We're getting ready at some point 
in this year, move from here to over there. When those doors are open, you're gonna see incredible things happen. Not that we're not already, but right now the whole coronavirus and small building is weird a little bit, I'm not gonna lie. But when all those things open up, if at some point it does, let me tell you, be ready. And we have to be ready because I believe God's gonna send people here like he never has before. And this is gonna be a neat thing to watch happen. So can we dig into God's word? Because now I'm done talking about, I, I, when I said all that was so I would get asked to come back. And so I'm, <laughs> I, I'm excited about what God, what God I feel wants to share with you today. As a matter of fact, I know he does. Uh, Pastor Alex kind of gave it away while I go when he said uh, that my wife Tiffany's gonna come up and share with me in just a minute. And I'm gonna tell you, for me, that is a real exciting thing. In 15 years of ministry, before coming here, my wife has never stood on a stage or stood beside me to, to talk in front of a crowd. And I tell you that I'm excited, and as excited as I am, is as unexcited as she is. And so, <laughs> y'all be thinking about that because as, in, as extroverted as I am, she is that introverted, which is why we're a pretty good combination of the two. And so I want to tell you that she is going to bless your socks off, as one Mr. Alex just said uh, in a few minutes. And I'm super excited, and I can't wait to get to it. So I'm probably going to blow through this first, pass so, first part so fast. But hang with me for a minute, because we're going to talk about something today that probably is not going to include everyone in the audience. I'm not going to lie. A lot of you guys are super spiritual, and like you probably don't have this issue. But we're going to talk about something today that will affect some of us, and that is scars. By hearing that. It sounds like maybe a few people in this audience can relate. We're going to talk about scars and wounds. And you're like, Tori, I was hoping you'd talk about something more exciting. Me too, but it's what God told me to tell you. So that's what we're going to talk about. Scars and wounds. And here's the thing about scars. There's a difference between scars and wounds. Scars are, are something that you've had a wound, but it's been healed, right? Wounds are something that's still kind of bleeding. It still looks kind of rough. But we're going to talk about those today because I believe it is very, very important that we're real about this whole thing in church. It is so easy to come put our literal mask on and just walk by day and day like nothing's going wrong. But I want to talk about the, the realities of scars and how the, the worst ones are the ones no one sees, right? And the, the flip side of that is there's kind of two of them. There's one, scars that are given to us by someone else, and the worst ones are the scars that we give ourselves, right? Like, the, like that time that you did that thing that nobody saw or maybe somebody did see and it was stupid and now you got that scar and you did it. Like it's not anybody else's fault, it's yours. Those are the hardest ones, I believe, to handle. And what I love to do is learn from Jesus. And you're gonna say, no, duh. But what I'm saying is the literal acts of Jesus. So if you'll turn to John chapter 20, if you'll flip there, whilst you're flipping, if you didn't have your Bible with you, you can look on the screen. The verses will be up there, no big deal. But John chapter 20, as you're getting there, I wanna share with you kind of what's happened to this point. And so what has happened is Jesus obviously came, his earthly ministry was over. He comes and he dies on the cross, right? You know the story, he's crucified on the cross, then he's thrown in the grave. Three days later, he comes back and he showed himself to a few people. And to this point, he has already came into a room where the disciples are, minus a couple of them. One of them was missing because he hung himself. You know who he was? Judas. The other one was a guy named Thomas, and that's who we're going to talk about today. So we're going to pick it up, John chapter 20, verse 24, and here's what it says. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
In the church world, or in, if you're kind of not new to this thing, you've been around church, we know Thomas and we call him something else. Anybody want to share what that might be? It's Doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Leave it to the church to define a man by one mistake in his life. Leave it to the church. The man doubts one time in his life and the church has coined him and threw a label on him as Doubting Thomas. Never mind the fact that you know about 10 chapters before then, he was sitting with Jesus, and Jesus was getting ready to go heal, raise Lazarus from the dead, and they were afraid to go through this town because they were afraid he, they were gonna kill him. And Jesus said, no, I wanna go this way. And they were like, no, let's go around the other way. Nope, we're going this way. And you know what Thomas said? Let's go and die with him. Did you know how was Thomas that said that? Does that sound like a doubter to you? You know what else happened? After this is the part that you probably didn't know about Thomas. After this moment in time, he goes on, Pentecost happens, he goes and starts planting churches. His ministry eventually ends him up in India where he was ran through with a, with a spear and killed and martyred for his faith. We don't call him that, what do we call him? Doubting Thomas. Because of the one time in his life that he made a mistake, that he doubted. Why do, we, why do we do that? I mean, why, why, based on one point, one moment in his life where maybe he had some doubts, you want me to tell you what I think about Thomas? I love it. I think he's being real. Dude is being real. I mean, he's like, look, God, man, I know you want to think you're uber spiritual here and you want to say, well, if I was there, I'd be like, oh, yes, I believe in you, Jesus. Let me just tell you something. You, well, no, I'm not going to do that because we're friends still right now. I don't want to come across that hard. But let me just say this. I kind of doubt that if we were all in that situation without reading the end of the book, that we would just say, oh, yeah, I know what happened. You would probably have your doubts, too. Look at the rest of it. Look at Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. But do we call him Peter the denier? No. David, a man after God's own heart, an adulterous murderer. But what do we call him? A man after God's own heart. We label Thomas over one point in scripture when in reality, he's just being real. He's not wearing a mask. He's not saying, well, I'm just fine. And we do it every week. Everybody that came in that door, how you doing today? What did you say? You flipped off three people on the way here because... <laughs> because they were driving in the fast lane and we all know they need more grace but still you did it you cussed your wife out in the parking lot but everything is just fine everything's great man oh it was a great week never mind you couldn't get your eyes off the computer looking at porn all week never mind you've had an issue with whatever all week long but we're fine why is it that we feel like we have to come into God's house, this place that should be a hospital, this place that is here for healing, why is it that we feel like we have to come in here and put on a mask and hide who we are? You know why? Because I think it all connects, Doubting Thomas. We're afraid we're gonna be slapped a label on. And we're afraid we can't be real in front of God's people and just say, man, here's my junk. Eastside Church, here's my challenge. Let's don't be that place. Let's be that place that when people come in these doors, they can say, you know what? I got issues. I got junk in my trunk and I just don't care enough to, not, to let you know. And if you judge me, you judge me. It's between you and God, but I need help. And can we lock arms together long enough to do life together so we can both be healed? 
then I believe the doors will be flooded with people because that's something people can get a hold of. You don't want to know why people don't care about coming and hanging out at church? Because why they want to be judged by church people. We get judged by Facebook and Instagram all the time. That's why you got 45 selfies like this because everybody wants to show the good side. Never mind you went through 25 pictures before you posted that one. You know you did. <laughs> Not to mention all the filters. Make you look all... Anyway, can we move, can we move on before I get stuck there? Because we got a lot of ground to cover and not a whole lot of time to do it in. Verse 26 says this, after eight days, here's a side note. I want to give you a little spoiler alert. Jesus comes back in the room. Every Easter drama I've ever been a part of, all right, or cantata, as they used to do in the church, they have this room set up and the disciples are in there minus Thomas, the whole thing happens, and, or Thomas comes in and says, not unless I see the nails in his hands, I put my hands in his side. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, bah, 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 and appears out of nowhere, you know? And he's like, well, here I am. Like it happens in that moment. But we see in scripture that he waited eight days to appear. Why do you think that is? Sometimes, well, most times, it's in the waiting when we learn our best lessons. It's in those eight days of doubt where sometimes Jesus prepares us for what's about to happen. I better not stick there. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, Thomas with them this time. Jesus came, the doors having been shut or locked. So the doors are locked. Jesus come in and stood in their midst and said, peace. Not really, he didn't like peace, but he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here, your fingers and to my side, to my hands and touch here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Then Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. When I read this, the first thing I thought, because maybe my mind is a little weirder than you guys, I don't know. But when Jesus said, here's my scars, the first thing I went to is why did he leave the scars in the first place? I mean, he's Jesus, right? He's also God. We call him the God man. He's 100% God and 100% man. If he wanted to, he could have come out padow and he would have been perfect hands, perfect side, everything's looking great, glowing, whatever, little glitter sparkles, whatever it is you like, whatever you want your Jesus to be sparkling like. If he wanted to, he could have, but he chose to leave the scars there. I found that very interesting because I believe that his scars had a purpose. And here's what I want you to take home today. If you're a note taker, write this down. Our scars have a purpose. Our scars have a real purpose. Now, those purposes are different for different people, but your scars may, may, may have a real purpose. For Jesus, his purpose was this. It proved who he was, who he said he was. It was proving that he was who he said he was. I am Jesus, I come back from the dead. If he didn't have the scars, do you think Thomas would have believed? He'd be like, told you he's an imposter. Listen, here's what you need to know. Do you know your story your scars could very well prove Jesus to somebody. I want to let that rest for a minute. Have you ever met somebody or heard a story and go, not without God? There is somebody out there that might need to hear about your scars and go, you know what? Maybe there is something to this God thing. Because our scars have a purpose. And you might say, what is that purpose? The purpose is to show that I'm not there anymore. I'm not through that. My scar's been healed. What hung Jesus on the cross didn't hold him there anymore. And what, hold you, what hurt you is not gonna hold you anymore. And you can say, here's my story. My story is my scar. My wounds are now a scar because they're healed because they were touched by the miracle worker. 
but you're also your scars have a story. And our stories sometimes are the messy part, aren't they? I mean, I, I was going to share a story about a scar I got right here when I shot a 16-pin nail through my hand. I'll tell that to you maybe one-on-one because I don't have time for it. But it has a neat story. But sometimes the internal scars, the stories hurt worse, don't they? I'm going to ask Tiffany to, to come up. and Do you want to stay up there or do you want me to pull the table down here? You don't, okay. All right. Well, I'll come up here with you then. I can't promise I'll sit down the whole time. But, whoa, that's bright. Um, so... I told you I wanted to share <coughs> our story with you, and um, I'm not going to lie, this is probably, I'm sorry, babe, my bad, that's, that's terrible, I'm a terrible husband. <laughs> uh, it's on, you're good. Gotcha. It's probably the hardest thing in 15 years of ministry that I have to do. I've actually never really shared our story in a public setting before. Um... So you ask the question, why? Why share? Because it's embarrassing. It stinks to talk about. It's messy. And to be honest, some of you, maybe not in this room, but maybe behind that camera online, you're going to judge me. And you're going to write me off. And that, you know, that's, I mean, that's okay. I, I get it. But some of you may be blessed by it, and that's why I share the story. Because and that's why Tiffany wants to share as well, because there may be someone dealing with some of the same stuff and saying there's no hope. But what I want to do is show you our scars and say they have a story. Uh, before coming here, I was a pastor um, for about 15 years, mostly student ministry. That's why I talk really fast and move around a lot and tell funny stories, because I'm used to talking to students. Um, but the last church where I served uh, was a multi-site church. It was about three campuses at the time, and they hired me to, to take over the student ministry. They didn't really have much of a student ministry. Matter of fact, the first day we were there, you remember we had, what, three kids or something? It was crazy. We walked in the room, it was three students. This was the main campus. I was like, okay, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And so we, we had to just kind of build it from the ground up. <clears throat> so I was hired to take care of that campus, but then provide the other guys at other campuses what they needed to make ministry successful. It was a really neat place. We saw God do some incredible things. God blessed us. It truly was a God thing. Within no time, those three turned to 13 and 23 and 43, and before we knew it, we were 100 students, had a great worship team that led for our adults. It was, it was crazy. It was just crazy what God did. And in the middle of all of that, I began to start, I got asked to speak in a, a kind of a, I guess you would say a, a group of guys that go into schools and it's called bonfire ministries and they asked me to be one of their keynote speakers and here here's why i give you that little bit of that backstory because what began when thousands of people or thousand people come by you every week and tell you you're awesome if you're not careful you'll begin to think you are i share this not for alex so much because man what an amazing what an amazing dude who's got his junk together and I'm not saying Michael does it, but I'm saying that any young man in ministry, this is an easy trap. It's a very easy trap because when you start here, listen, your talents can take you to a place that your integrity is not ready for. That's right. That's a good word. Wish I came up with it, but yes, it is. Listen, <laughs> but you can write it down that I did if you want to. And we'll say, bless God. It's true. And that's not just for ministry guys 
that's for if you're a banker, that's for if you're a, a hammer swinger like I am. It's for wherever you are. Your talent can take you to a place that if you're not ready, your integrity won't hold you. And I began to let pride creep in. And when pride came in of me thinking how awesome I was, I began to think about what I should be and all this. And I just got in a bad place. Pastor or not, see, here's, here's why it's important that we pray for our pastors. Because at the end of the day, they're just dudes and dudettes. I mean, they're just, they're just people who probably struggle with the same stuff you do. You know, I had a pornography addiction I never dealt with from the time I was in middle school. I never dealt with that. You know why? Because I said, well, I won't struggle with it when I get married because I'm having sex every day of my life. Do, do not laugh, man. This is not the time to laugh. You know, I mean, I, I'm, see, now you did not listen. I, I never dealt with it. I said, well, I'll become a pastor. I won't struggle with it anymore because now I'm reading the Bible every day and that's all I'm doing is reading the Bible. I won't struggle with it. That wasn't true. And towards the end of our ministry there, uh, a lady came into our youth group was very involved. She was involved because she was a mom who worked at home, or was a stay-at-home mom, so she was there all the time. And a conversation that was just a conversation of how can I help you behind closed doors, just she and I. You can say what you want to about the Billy Graham rule, but I am living proof that that is, not, that is a wise decision. The conversation went a place that it should have never went. And then before long, texting became something it should have never been. And before I knew it, the snowball of sin, do you know what I'm talking about? Started here, and the next thing you know, you're here and you have no clue how you got there, but you're right in the middle of it. I was in a full-blown affair with this lady for close to a year. There would be Sundays that I would be, our Styles, our, kind of our setup was a little different and I would be backstage waiting and we had this intro video that came out before we walked out every Sunday and there'd be days that the worship team would be back there and I'd just be in tears, convicted about where I was. The band would come by and think, oh, there's our pastor, he's crying, he's just probably slain the spirit. I was slain all right, with conviction. I can promise you if you don't listen to conviction, it's there for a reason. It's there to stop you where you are so that you don't get to a place of all the consequences of what you're into. But I continued on. Uh, a student came there that I was very close to, spent a lot of time with. Before long, she and I had an inappropriate relationship. Just to clear a little bit of the air, we didn't was not a sexual relationship, but inappropriate at best. Inappropriate text, inappropriate things, 100% wrong. The thing that I loved almost the most, which was student ministry, Satan used as a tool to destroy me. And I'll never forget the day that the pastors of the church, they brought me in the room, they said, we've heard some accusations we don't believe it, but we want to, we got to ask you about it. And after, honestly, if I'm real with you guys, I want to be real with you. I denied it at first. It's easier to lie at first, you know. Until eventually I just, guys, it's true. 
I confessed to the affair, I confessed to the relationship with the, the girl in the youth group, and then I had to tell my wife. The hardest thing I've had to do was look at the woman that I love and break her heart. Of course, I was fired from the church. <clears throat> the next day, uh, as soon as, because you can imagine, when it's an inappropriate relationship, I'm an adult, she's a minor, charges were filed. Before I knew it, news media was at our front door. Everywhere we went, I was all over the news. And I, I didn't know what to do. Like, I'd never been in trouble. Well, it's not true. I'd never been in that kind of trouble in my life. Police had never known my name other than speeding tickets. I got a few of those. But here I'm getting phone calls and charges pressed against me and, like, phone calls from detectives, and I'm going, oh, now I know I'm going to be, like, all over Google and, like, what in the world? Like, I, I just... I was so embarrassed and destroyed and beat down. And even in the middle of that, I was thinking more of myself than my wife. We moved from where we were just to get away from the news media because they're, well, I'm not going to say. There might be some in here. They were vultures. How about that? And, you know, the church was almost as bad as the media. Like, I had someone who was in ministry literally tell me, I'm going to be the first one to throw you under the bus. I get it. That really? Fleshly, I get it. I mean, I understand. And so I shared with my wife, and we, we were at my parents' house, who were here today. And um, I said, um, I, you know, I just don't know. Like, I would have left me, so I assume she would too. You know, I, mean, I assume it's just a matter of time. She's trying to get everything together. I think you were actually told at one point by people on staff at the church that they would help you if you divorced me. That does not preach, by the way. And, and so, um, even though she had every right, but um, I was sitting in my room, and at the time, our sweet little girl, Tilly, was just three years old. And we were... I was sitting there, and Tilly, uh, Tiffany rather, came in my room, and she said, I have two questions for you. She said, I, I want you to think about them before you answer, and here's what they are. She said, do you love me, and do you want this marriage to work? I was surprised I even got that question. I thought it would be, do you want me to shoot you or stab you, is what I was <laughs> <laughs> more or less laying to it. That was actually my parents, but... Um, and so, and so they're like, God gives grace, but I'm about to give wrath. But, um, and so I thought about it. She left the room. And she came back in. She said, well, what do you think? And I said, I know that it makes zero sense to you that I can tell you that I love you after I've done the things that I've done, after I've had an affair, I've had an inappropriate relationship. I, I know that it doesn't make any sense how I can tell you that I love you, but I do love you, 
and I do want this marriage to work. And she responded with something that floored me. Do you you remember what you said? Then I refuse to let Satan win. What's my answer? (laughs) I broke my heart. Because I would have said, I can't do this. And so what I asked Tiffany to share with you guys this morning was what got her there. How do you get there in really four days? And so I just want you to share what you shared with me when I asked you that question. I want you to share with them, if you will. Yeah. So let me just say that I did not start there. Um, But the reason that I did ask those questions um, was because I wanted to know if I had a willing participant Um, And I recognize um, we have had friends where both spouses were not willing participants. You know, if I'm going to fight this fight, um, am I going to have help? Um, Do I have a willing participant? Um, So when Tori dumped all this on me, um, I was so overcome just with the sight of my husband, as you can see, I mean, he doesn't get nervous, he's extroverted, and he's standing there just in a puddle of sorrow and shame, like a place I had never seen him before. Um, That was overwhelming at best. But the emotions, the barrage of emotions that followed um, were so overwhelming, I I think I physically was sick. Um, And my next words were, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this. I am so done. Um, But I quickly realized that I needed to forgive him. But I knew I couldn't do it in my own power. Amen. Um, So forgiveness was not the first thing that came to mind. (laughs) Not at all. But I knew I had to make the choice. Um, to forgive them so I could move forward, right? Forgiveness is for us. I had to move forward. Forward. That word became very special to me in that moment, Um, and I coined it, I think, for a year and a half. Um, Whether we continued in our marriage or not, because at that that time, I I still didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to do. I chose to forgive him. Um, And then I did the only thing that I knew to do, and that was go to the Father and gut it out in prayer. Amen? And then an hour later, I had to forgive him again. And then three hours later, (laughs) I had to forgive him again. And then the next morning when I woke up with the anger and the betrayal, I had to forgive him again. Um, And I had to do it many, many times over. But that's okay, because understand, those feelings that I had, they didn't go away. I still had hatred in my heart. I still felt the betrayal and just such a deep, deep level of hurt. Um, And there were so many times that I remember um, the enemy. He was there. I felt him, and he would make me feel hopeless. Remember the hopelessness that would come in. (laughs) But I knew two things. I knew I was alive. And I knew I had Jesus. Yeah. So I knew I wasn't hopeless. Mm. And let me tell you what that helped me do. 
I began to pray for Tori. And I began to pray, God, can you just strike him dead? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I didn't really pray that prayer. Not out loud. I thought it, but I didn't pray it. Instead, I began to pray, God, help me see Tori through your eyes. Because mine can't see past the sin. My eyes couldn't even see the husband that I adored and loved at one time. Eventually, God answered those prayers, but not immediately. Um, kind of like when Jesus waited eight days <laughs> to appear to Thomas. There's a process. I had to go through a process, and I had to trust the process. Um, but what did happen immediately, God gave me that grace, mm. that grace for Tori. He gave me the ability to see him through the eyes of Jesus. I was able to see the sin. And it helped me to be able to redirect my anger to the enemy, the one who came to steal, kill, and intentionally destroy my marriage, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was able to hate adultery, but love the adulterer Mm. in that moment. Amen. So God brought me back to our wedding day when we said our vows. And I think at this point I was back into pity party mode. Um, but I got out our vows and we, we said traditional Christian vows. So, um, I began just to read them out loud. I, Tiffany, take you, Tori, as my husband to have and to hold from this day forward. There's that word again, forward. God was speaking to me, you guys. So I just kept moving forward. That's all I knew to do at this point. For better or for worse, this was the worst. The worst that had ever happened to us anyway. You get the picture. And then I realized, not only was I saying these vows to Tori, I was saying them to God. Yeah. Like, I entered into a holy covenant which means in Hebrew, with God, by the way, a holy covenant with God, just like Abraham, just like Noah, just like David, and just like Moses. Yeah, come on. Okay? That's good. So then I started researching that word covenant, um, which I learned has two parts. It has a promise and a fulfillment. God promised Noah he would never flood the earth. The fulfillment was preservation of human life. God promised Abraham he would be the father of many nations. The fulfillment, his descendants would be blessed. God promised David the Messiah would come from his lineage. And the fulfillment was Jesus, Jesus' birth. He promised Moses if Israel obeyed God, they would become God's chosen people. And they still are today, right? But my favorite, my favorite part of studying what a covenant was, was when Israel messed up. You remember when they had the golden calf issue they were worshiping and they messed up? There were consequences. But what does God do? He reminds them that their covenant had not changed. He showed grace. He didn't have to keep his covenant. He reminded them that their covenant had not changed. Therefore, their responsibilities were the same. Mm. 
he says to them in Deuteronomy 29.9, carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything that you do. Now, I know God was speaking to the Israelites then, and I apologize. I took that out of context. But right there in that moment, <laughs> God was speaking to me. I was, I was treasured. All of a sudden, I felt treasured for the first time in days. Um, just because my marriage was a mess, my covenant had not changed. My responsibilities were the same. Mm. Come home. I knew I was created to be Tori's helper, and he needs my help now more than ever. For better or for worse, till death do his part, I get to be married to a redeemed, trustworthy, healed man of God whom I adore. <laughs> Sometimes. My daughter-in-law can preach. <laughs> Told you you'd love her. So, it, <laughs> as we started unpacking that, I had to say, okay, well, it's, it's time to man up. Right? She put her big girl panties on. I need to do the same. Baby, if you don't want to set up here, you don't have to. It's completely up to you. Thank you so much for sharing. So here was the problem. It's one thing to receive forgiveness in your heart. It's a whole nother thing to receive forgiveness and grace in your brain. My problem was I couldn't get past my past. Ever been there? Am I the only one in the room that's going to be real between us and God? Like, I, I couldn't get past, like, I understood that she forgave me. That's great. I understood grace enough to understand that God, I couldn't forgive me. And man, was it hard. I was no use to my family. I couldn't leave my family because I was so beat down. I was so embarrassed. The one thing that I love, which is ministry so much, would never be a part of my life again. So I thought. All, most of my friends at the time were all pastors and they all turned their back and was done with this dude. I thought at the time I was going to lose my family. I just found out I had my family. I was in such a place where I literally was in a deer stand contemplating, okay, I can make this look like a mistake. People have hunting mistakes all the time. And I went from there and I got alone in the woods because I'm a dude who likes to hunt. And that's what I did. I went on a retreat, and I went on something called a monastic fast. Maybe you've never heard of it. That's where you don't talk. For me, that's a lot harder than not eating, okay? And so for 30 hours, I didn't say a word. I went in the woods, got in a tent with a Bible and some verses and some books and started reading. <laughs> and I just listened what God would say and before long I got a pen and paper and started writing down what he was saying to his son and if you walk away with nothing other than my wife's amazing and this right here this is what I want you to get ready to pin down because I'm going to tell you when this when you get this not just when you hear this I mean when you internalize it and you take it home it will change everything about the way you look at yourself and the way you look at people and here's what God told me 
He told me these three things. We're going to run through them fast because I know we're out of time and I apologize. Mr. C's away. Here it is. First of all, you are forgiven. Yeah, that's easy to say, but listen to this. You are forgiven. Listen to this verse. Romans 8 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Who is it? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In other words, if you've said yes to God and you have began a relationship with Him, and at some point you've had this mistake and you said to God, I'm sorry, there is no condemnation. Can we say it together? No condemnation. One more time. No condemnation. I want you to hear it and live it and breathe it because let me tell you, you've got to grab that first that there's no condemnation. God looks at you and he says, I love you. And you might say, but I don't feel forgiven. Well, thank God that the facts of God's word are bigger than the feelings in our hearts. Because you may not feel forgiven, but let me tell you, according to God's word, you are forgiven. Wear that. And the second thing is you're valuable. You are valuable. What, What determines the value of something? How much somebody will give for it? I can pr- I'm thinking of selling my house. I could price it at four and a half million dollars. More than likely, nobody's going to pay four and a half million for a 2,000 square foot house on a half acre land in Albemarle, North Carolina. If you would, come see me after service. We can certainly work out a deal. The price, the value of that house is what somebody will give me for it. Guess what? You know how valuable you are? God, the God of all creation, gave his one and only son, his best, his perfect gift for you so that you could live forever and so that you can say, I'm forgiven. He paid the price on the cross for your sins, show victory over that sin by coming out of the grave three days later so that you can live with him and so that you can live and know that you are valuable. Somebody today just needs to hear that because you've not been told you're valuable. You've been told maybe as a kid and maybe as an adult, you're not valuable. Social media might tell you you're not valuable. The cool kids may not say you're valuable, but I wanna tell you, forget them and listen to the God of all creation who created everything you see in a week and still had a day to take a break, who said to you, I love you and you're valuable enough that I'll give my perfect son for you. That's how valuable you are. You're forgiven, you're valuable, and you are unconditionally loved. Notice that word, unconditionally. No conditions to God's love for you. You know why? Because you're his kid. Grab this today. You need to understand that not just are you valuable, but you are unconditionally loved by God. I'll never forget this happening. And we were riding on the road. Tilly was three or four years old. I'm sorry, I'm using you as a sermon illustration, babe, but that's part of what happens. We were riding on the road, and we didn't know she had a stomach thing. And if you're not a parent, you haven't had this happen yet, but you will one day, by the grace of God, get thrown up by your kid, thrown up on. And I was riding down the road, and she's like, my belly hurts. I'm like, whatever, babe. And the next thing I know is this projectile. Yeah, I don't want to get too graphic because we have sympathy pukers and everybody be throwing up and it'll be weird. But you get the idea, just nastiness. I mean, it was just, she covered with it. And I said, hurry up and get home. She gets home and there she is sitting in her car seat with this owner and like nasty and stinking. And she looked at me and said, daddy, let me tell you what I didn't do. 
What I didn't do was look at her and say, Tilly, I'm sorry, but you're a mess right now, baby. And I, I, what you're gonna need to do is take this rag, clean yourself up, get, smell, get the junk out of your hair, get the stuff off your face, get the stuff out of your car, get nice and pretty. And when you get nice and pretty again, then I'll love you. That's not what I said to her. In that moment, when she reached out for her daddy, all I could see was a baby wanting her daddy. And I grabbed my little girl up, throw up and all, mess and all, and said, baby, I love you, it's okay. We're gonna we'll worry about this mess later, but right now, I love you. And I wanna tell you that the Father in heaven is sitting here with his arms open in your mess and all. And he says, I'm not worried about the mess just yet, but if you'll come to me, we'll clean you up. Don't worry about cleaning yourself up. Let me do that, but I love you regardless. Because it's not about your performance, it's about your position. It's not about your performance and how well you're doing. It's about your position as God's child. You are unconditionally loved by him. You are valuable to him. And you're forgiven. Wear that. I stepped out of that tent that I told you about. A different man. I went in it defeated, wore down, disgusted at myself, ready to end my life. But when I came out, God said, son, it's time for you to stand up. Pick up your chin. Hold your head high. Know that you're a forgiven man of God. Whether you serve on a church anymore doesn't matter because you are a son of God, a child of God. You are a man of God. Now lead your family. Wear the crown of forgiveness because you need to know that I've forgiven you and I love you. And I want you to know that's God's word for you today. If you've got scars, you've got stuff in your past you can't get past, understand this. He loves you, you're valuable to him, and he forgives you. God, I thank you. For even when I didn't deserve it, you forgave me. You love me, and you call me valuable. I'm gonna ask our prayer team. We have a really cool prayer team here. If they would just kind of come up front and maybe even somebody stand in the back, I don't know. Maybe you need to respond. I'm not gonna talk into it, not gonna ask you how to do it. Maybe you need to respond one way or the other. JP's gonna sing a song that meant a lot to Tiffany and I called Moving Forward. And that's what we had to do.